Okay, I think we're ready to start the meeting. I'm going to call to order uh, the October 25th uh, Planning Commission meeting. On tonight's agenda, uh, we have an update for the comp plan on sustainability. Um, and I would like to call roll. Scott Rooser. Here. Rodney Rutherford. Here. Angela Rosman. Here. John Tim Chisholm. Here. Katya Allen. I, I believe Katya is still here, isn't she online? She is not. She has not joined yet. Okay. She may, uh, Katya is uh, in Spain and may not be attending on this one. Yeah. Sandeep Singhal. Still here. And Bria Heiser. Here. <laughs> Um, so before we start uh, our meeting, is there anybody from the audience who would like to uh, speak tonight? So is there anyone online? No, there's not. Okay, great. Uh, on the agenda tonight is a study session for sustainability, climate, and environmental uh, element of the comp plant update. So I will uh, defer to staff. Thank you. Okay. Great. My name is David Barnes, senior planner here at City of Kirkland, and I'm going to be giving you a little bit of briefing. Um, since the last time we visited, um, back in May, um, on the sustainability, climate, and environment element. Yes. Great, I think we're, we're all there now, thanks. Okay, so um, tonight I'm just gonna briefly recap uh, our previous meeting, um, very briefly. Um, we're also gonna go over um, the SCE element, um, which is Sustainability Climate and Environment Element. Um, like to use that acronym um, tonight, just so I don't have to say it over and over again. Um, and talk about the required policies um, that we're needing to adopt and also what le how legislation is affecting the policies that we're adopting. Um, and the real meat and potatoes of the meeting tonight is the discussion points and getting your feedback about um, some policies um, that I've um, brought forward. So um, you might remember from our last meeting, May 11th, um, 2023, we discussed um, you know, focus group um, questions about having a policy that leads to natural gas hookup ban in Kirkland. Um, I took your feedback 
And generally, um, some of the members of the Planning Commission did not support a ban on um, um, natural gas hookups. Um, and, and there were concerns about costs, impacts to businesses, ability of the electric grid to handle increased demand. Um, however, um, probably you've seen from the packet, um, several east side cities and, um, have drafted and intend to incorporate policies into their comprehensive plans, incorporating um, or transitioning, excuse me, away from fossil fuels. Um, and this slide here is just talking about some of the themes that um, occurred from meeting with the working group on the CE element and also through um, a survey. Um, that was conducted, 75% of the respondents were really kind of concerned about the impacts of climate change. Um, and they were um, wanting us to provide um, information about um, education about programming that prioritizes equitable access to solutions that um, reduce the impacts of climate change. Um, and so I just thought it'd be a good idea for you to see this again, what the community was saying. They're promoting or asking us to do more electrification, to move away from the dependence on fossil fuels in general. Um, and they want us to report out um, on our efforts. So um, as with all of the elements that um, the staff is working on, um, you know, what we have to do is we have to determine consistency with state multi-county or PSRC's Vision 2050, King County countywide planning policies. Um, I've gone through and taken the whole element and actually done that. And we are consistent with the PSRC's or the multi-county, and we are consistent with King County's countywide planning policies. I will say that um, we've gone from about 52 policies to about 75. Um, and I really haven't got a chance to really get into the legislation um, that I'm going to talk about a little bit later that's requiring us to do more climate um, action um, uh, um, policies. Um, we also are looking with the SCE element for alignment with our local functional plans. Um, I mentioned here the sustainability master plan, but you know we also look at other things like the transportation master plan, stormwater master plan, things like that. And the reason why that's kind of important um, is that the sustainability master plan was adopted in 2020 um, and the last time we did a comp plan update was 2015. So we've got a little catch up to do and um, we, we, we hope to have policies um, that you know, are supportive of our functional plans. And last but not least, um, you know, we have a really great um, Kirkland Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging Roadmap. It's a five-year plan. Um, so I've gone through the, um, the policies um, and looked there to make sure I'm consistent with that. And then also um, the Econ, Econ Northwest Equity, Equity Review um, has lots of suggestions about proper language to use. Um, and I've gone through and reviewed it for that too and made it consistent with that. So I thought I'd just kind of brief you where I'm at with that. So I'm just moving on to legislative requirements. And um, in the packet, I provided a link to the, um, it was House Bill 1181, now it's you know, an extended to um, House Bill 1181, but basically this is the final bill, and um, it's to improve the state's response to climate change by updating the state's planning frame framework. The planning framework really didn't address um, the 
kind of the gravity of the issue, and that's why this bill was adopted. Um, one thing that is going to be happening um, um, because this plan's been or the, this bill's been adopted is that we're going to go through and uh, make sure that our vehicle miles travels targets, primarily in the transportation element, are updated. And we're going to have to show actions, and those, that'll probably be through functional plans and how to reduce them. There's always been a notion of vehicle miles traveled, and we need to reduce them. But now there's actually percentages and we're going to have to show our work, essentially. Um, I thought I'd mention that because this bill does touch a lot of elements. It touches our public utilities, capital facilities, and, of course, this element that we're working on, the SCE element, because it's asking us to establish a climate element or sub-element, establish a climate resilience sub-element, um, and those things are going to be incorporated into this element that I'm working on right now. So if it comes... At a time in the future that we're actually required to have a climate element specifically, we'll be able to just pull it out and create create its own element on its own. Um, unfortunately, some of the guidance that I need to completely be in compliance with, um, you know, the Department of Commerce is not coming out until December 2023. So <laughs> they're a little bit behind, um, but that means that I'm just working on all the other things that I need to do and get ready. Um, so that when I get that guidance, I can incorporate it and, um, and do what's required because of this legislation. So um, not to kind of, you know, um, harp on this, but um, the reason why you're hearing so much about climate and the impacts and so forth, um, and, and you're hearing so much out of it in the um, legislation and even through presentations that staff provides, is that we have some really stringent carbon em emission or greenhouse gas emissions, whatever you like, reduction targets. Um, and the 50% by 2030, that's been pretty consistent over the last 10, 12 years. Um, this year, or actually um, the countywide planning policy and the state policies added a, um, a, a midpoint target in between 2030 and 2050, which I think is a good idea but they're asking for 75% by 2040. And then this is the, a really big one. Um, the, they're asking for 95% reduction by 2050. That previously was 80% by 2050. Um, and I think the reason why we're seeing things really ratchet up is because we're already seeing the impacts. We're seeing the smoke events, we're seeing the heat events. Um, it's happening worldwide. Um, and we didn't think that we were going to see these impacts quite so soon, quite frankly. And, uh, you know, so we have, we're, we're again trying to catch up. And so what are the sources? They're still pretty consistently um, the fossil fuels um, being used, uh, mobile combustion, that's driving cars um, or <coughs> transport or whatever you, you like. Um, uh, we still um, combusting gas in the home. Um, it's It's you know, almost a quarter of the fossil fuel use. And, um, you know, electricity, PSC's um, portfolio has a, um, uh, a mix of about 60% renewables and 40% derived from burning fossil fuels to create um, electricity. So, um, you know, it's, it's, this is kind of why I'm here tonight. You know, we're looking at policies to kind of do more signaling our intent about the use of fossil fuels in the city. Um, 
And the good news is, I guess, um, you know, on the electricity front is that um, the Clean Energy Transformation Act of 2019 requires PSE to have 100% clean electricity by 2045. Okay, but that's quite some time out in the future. Um, but it's in play, so that means that every year their portfolio is getting cleaner and they're getting more renewables. That's great. Um, but we still have mobile combustion and we still have um, the stationary combustion, and it's, it's there. And it'll be there for quite some time. But again, policy in place will actually signal intent where we're going as a city. So um, I thought it would be really good to, instead of just asking you what your opinions are, actually put some options in front of you. That's always a best management practice. Um, I don't know how, Chair Rice, or how you want to handle this, but I provided three options. Um, and um, these are options that it'd be great to get um, comments on. Um, and I don't know how you want to do this. I would say just walk us through each of the options. Okay. They're not significantly different, but they're a little bit different, so we can, we can do that. Um, so the city and its operations, on that's the first one, on a, a community-wide basis will significantly reduce its reliance on natural gas and other fossil fuels to meet its greenhouse gas emission targets, which we pre previously looked at, and create a cleaner, renewable energy future. So it's, there's no timelines there but it's talking about um, reducing our fossil fuel dependence or use, not only in government operations, but promoting community-wide, because that's, you know, wouldn't be good to do one and not the other. Um, so that's option A. Um, do you just want me to keep going and then we, okay, great. And the second one, again, with the same, um, Pretext here, the city and its operations on a community-wide basis will curtail its use of fossil fuels to the greatest extent possible and evaluate progress annually with the purpose of meeting stringent emission um, reduction targets. And then I list them out just exactly how they are now. 50% um, by 2030, 75% by 2040, and 95% by 2050. So that aligns, again, with the countywide planning policy state legislation and, um, and what we're working towards right now. Um, and it does, you know, provide some dates, which I think is not a bad idea at all. Um, and the third and last option, city will prioritize making changes to its operations, retrofit facilities, to significantly reduce the use of fossil fuels, and quickly help the community electrify and transition to the creation and use of 100% clean renewable energy. Um, so that one, um, you know, probably there's going to be, as there is now, a lot of education in the community. It's going, there's going to be a lot of um, uh, helping um, community members um, take advantage of grants, Inflation Reduction Act, um, PSE incentives, that kind of a thing. That'll, that would be part of any one of these options, but it just kind of got a little more specific for a moment. So anyway. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to find out what you guys think, and from there, I can um, go back and come back later with the draft policy. I'm going to say, um, since we have some hands raised, uh, yeah. why don't we go to questions? Um, John? Uh, 
does the city feel that a 95% reduction by 2050 is feasible? Off twice if you don't. Just clear your throat if you don't. Think. Um, well, so all the projections, if I had a graph I could show you, um, but there, there's, um, we do have projections. We've been working with the, the county for quite some time. They do feel like it is possible. Um, they don't, where they're really unsure is the, that last 5%, they just really are like, that's where they're stuck. And so um, that last 5% they feel could be helped by carbon sequestration. So um, that's, that's kind of the approach that the state has and the county has. Okay, perhaps the city aspires too. I uh, the question I had is what if you don't hit your goals is there you know punishments from the state or is there lack of funding is there um, are these just stated goals well they are in um, the countywide planning policies and they're in state legislation so I don't know if there is penalties for um, not achieving them, but I think that we're all seeing kind of the penalties that we're facing with the impacts. Um, so um, there's coordinated, uh, you know, work on from the state level all the way down to the city level to help achieve these, and we're we're seeing a lot of money coming our way, lots of money to help achieve this. So. Um, we want to, and it's stated in our comprehensive plan, so we intend to do that. But I'm not aware of any specific monetary penalties. Yeah, I, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. 75% uh, by 2040, so you're expecting that cars will be off the road and electrified by, because you're saying, you know, uh, the vast majority of it is mobile, uh, so it it it's saying a lot. I yeah, I could if I could jump in just really fast. Um, I think that we treat these targets I think similar to the affordable housing targets, um, in in the in the in, that we've been assigned by the countywide planning policies, and that um, we our intent is to have supportive policies that would ultimately allow us to get to these targets, but we are not necessarily beholden to meeting them. Right, because there's lots of other factors outside of our control in the housing realm and also in the carbon emissions realm, right? Like technology needs to substantially change and driving patterns need to substantially change to get to these targets. But I think the concept here is we wanna do everything that we can in the comprehensive plan to support these targets. And the, the good thing I think is that the policies that, that, that we can craft to help us get to these targets are not only about carbon emissions, right? They're about walkable neighborhoods and you know better use of transit. They help our community in other ways. So I guess that's what I would encourage us to focus on, not necessarily the, the numerical threshold, but like what are the supportive policies that we need to do to ultimately get here if the technology changes in a way that's supportive of that. Of that. John. Um, I, I think it's good to have aggressive aspirational goals. I think we might as well you know, have a high aspirational goal. I think it'd also be great if we put some <clears throat> actions behind it, especially like the city of Kirkland um, vehicle fleet 
and other things that are symbolic. I mean, every single vehicle that the city of Kirkland owns has our city's symbol, you know, printed on the side of that vehicle. And if they're all gas vehicles, I don't know. Are they? I don't. No, they're not. Are they? Are they mostly? Public works is all. Public works all gas. They don't make electricity, as far as I know. Well, all right. <laughs> Vehicles. Yep. Is it really? Yep. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Okay. Your public works is big diesel fleet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm... we have a Ford 150 on order. Lightning. <laughs> yeah. It's all electric. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, Angela. I, I'm going to say. Pipe in if I'm not seeing you. Okay. Pipe in here. Uh, um, so my comment would be again, half of the emissions are mobile, and that means that I think I don't know if you've considered having a housing piece in this, but um, directly saying that we need to have enough housing in our city, or there's no way we're going to meet these emission targets. You know. We can do away with all the gas stoves, but if we don't actually have housing for people, we're, you know, the gas stoves are like 0.05% of this versus cars are 50%. So I would like to see a really strong piece acknowledging that we cannot get anywhere close to these reductions if people are driving <coughs> to get home after work. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if... I guess the question is, like, have you considered explicitly saying that if we do everything else and ignore where people are living, we're not going to get there? I don't know if I have a real good response to that question or to that, that comment, but I'm, I've noted it. And so we've got to hit our housing targets and we've got to make it easier for people to live here. So there's not so much driving going on. But when I talk about, you know, kind of moving away from fossils, it, you're right, it is not just a gas appliance somewhere. It's cars. And um, um, that's really the only way we're going to hit these targets. It's going to have to be a very coordinated approach. So um, it'll be everything from our operations and everything we do, our fleet, and then encouraging the community um, but we have really good EV adoption rates on the east side. It's like over 50% of the vehicles being sold are electric. Um, but, you know, in order to support that, we have to have the charging infrastructure. And so that's the next thing we're tackling. And then working with the local utilities to provide the electrical capacity to do that. It's going to be a transition. It's going to take time that has to be supported by, like Adam said, policy. And I don't think anybody's figured it out exactly right yet. But having the policies in place allows us to move forward in our functional plans. And also, quite frankly, when you're going after grants, big dollars, if you have policies in place, you are more than likely to get grant dollars, which really helps um, us you know, do better with our taxpayers' dollars. Great. Uh, Bria? Um, Angela, what was the, where is it with the legislation with California right now and their ban on natural gas that was repealed? I don't know if there's anything new since we talked about it. Okay. And I just don't want to get into a place where we're saying 95% and to get to the 95%, we're just going to have one source of energy and then we get us, get ourselves into a situation where we've passed legislation that, that is not 
that, that gets us into trouble, that legally gets repealed, that gets walked back, that gets made into code and then has to be, you know, revised code. And it just, I, that's all I worry about is just making the gas ranges evil. Um, and it's when it's mostly cars. And I think we're really depending on the development community to do this because retrofitting a house, no one's going to voluntarily do that. You might get a stipend or something from the from PSC or whatever we're doing with from the state, but it's going to be a small amount, and it's not worth the headache of having to retrofit a house to be only electric. When well, there some should be incentives. Uh, there should be incentives in this that when your appliances wear out that you um, – there has to be a benefit to the homeowner that not, they uh, go to a electric furnace or an electric range instead uh, because – and I don't see how the city can, unless it is state and county, um, providing incentives. I'm assuming it's like a, a – Puget Sound Regional Organization, you know, Alliance um, thing, but it's going to be like an $800 rebate on like an $8,000, you know, new therm, you know, thermostat and everything that goes with it, not to mention you have to redo conduit. That's another issue too. So, right, if you're going to have to redo conduit, you're going to have to get transmission poles. I mean, that's a whole other issue. So maybe 95% is just... We're not even thinking about the transmission poles because one house we just built, we had to have PSC come upgrade that. And PSC is horrible. I mean, we waited on them. No, I'm sorry, they're overwhelmed and they don't they they don't care because they're a public utility. We we still don't have permanent power to a house that we have put on the market and we're gonna wait another six weeks until somebody wants to come out because they, they have a policy that they just don't care. So I just I, <laughs> I don't I, know if that is a policy. It, well, a lot of uh, it is. <laughs> they they're a conglomerate. So I'm just concerned as we go along with this, having a 95 percent when that's just not feasible from so many dimensions, especially just from the, the practicality of PSC showing us that they are up to the job. I mean, that's a whole other problem. If we're not getting permanent power hooked up to new construction in any decent time frame. It takes three months to get it done. I don't know. Okay, Rodney. Um, so I, I have a question. I don't know if you'll have answers, but uh, so I, 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 yeah, yeah. So I've read that unburned natural gas is about, I read somewhere like 80 times more, uh, has a a warming effect that's 80 times greater than burned natural gas. And I'm wondering, is there a sense of how significant that is in the larger picture? Because we could, uh, you know, make great inroads on, on reducing this, but if we end up even with like a 1% leakage rate of unburned gas, that still um, would end up being, you know, close to half of the warming effect from natural gas. Uh, just in in the the unburned um, uh, the unburned effect the effect of the unburned gas. So I don't have a sense of is that significant. If it is, that would be a significant um, influence to me on like how we approach this problem, uh, how we approach this this situation. Um, 
excluding that, you know, I, I would lean away from a prohibition, have a preference more to aligning economic incentives um, to reflect the negative externalities onto those who burn fuel and then use the revenue from that to help fund the transition to more renewable sources, especially for those who um, uh, have uh, uh, you know, lower income um, and perhaps even exempting lower income from, uh, from that tax, recognizing that we're, we're trying to help, uh, help them financially through the transition to a more sustainable future. I mean, this is admittedly more into the strategy of how we achieve some of these goals. Um, as for the the goals themselves, I mean, yeah, I mean, let's let's aim high. I, I'm a little concerned that A and C don't have a timeline attached to it, and B is the only one with a timeline attached to it. Um, it's maybe the most um, uh, you know the, the balance between. Um, you know, A is kind of meh, and C is, you know, shooting for the moon, and uh, but but it's shooting for the moon with with no time bound on it. So, uh, you know, I, B is the most well formed right now. But yeah, I'm I'm interested if if you have any insight or you know you can come back you know later with you know if you do find more about like what is the significance of the unburned natural gas because that that could totally change the way I look at the problem and the, the urgency for, for addressing it. Yeah, just really quick, um, you're talking about fugitive emissions. So <laughs> um, the, there's a number that um, anybody that does greenhouse gas emission reports um, calculates. There's just leaks from the time you um, drill, from the time you process and send it somewhere, from the time you send it to the lines in the streets, from the time from the streets to your house and in your house. It's leaking all the time. Um, so there, it's significant because it's more dangerous, you're right, than the, than the actual burnt fuel. Um, and it is, being, it is being accounted for by people that use best management practices. And um, probably later on this year, I don't know if you guys will see it, but maybe I'll make a point to do this, but um, we just um, commissioned a 2022 greenhouse gas emissions reports um, that uh, analyzes our operations and the community's emissions. And the fugitive emissions, the unspent things that are going up, we're talking about refrigerants from cars, R104A, um, we're talking about different things like that. Um, it's pretty substantial, so we want to keep those in a closed loop situation. Um, and then the other thing I was going to mention was that uh, I am working um, with our government um, liaison at PSC to do, have a presentation to come to city council here, and I would invite you when, when that happens. <laughs> and um, one of the things, it was one of the study issues, um, you know, wanting to know what the grid resilience is looking like, what the transition is looking like, because PSC knows that it has to make this transition. It's looking right now in current legislation to divert off into um, be able to um, provide heat pumps for people because to make up for money that they know they're going to be losing from gas sales, things like that. 
But um, maybe what we could do is um, assemble some questions that we could provide to them ahead of time so that they could be prepared to talk about. And I'm sure that council has those questions. But they also want to know that we're moving in the right direction as well. Um, but this transition is not going to take one or two years. It's going to take a long time. So nothing's going to happen overnight and break something. But there is always a concern when you hear about brownouts and things different places. Um, so anyway, hopefully that'll provide more, an more answers to questions and things. Um, um, so I'm looking forward to that and I invite you when that happens. Is a is a follow-on to that you mentioned uh, escaping coolant um, uh, gases is being very which yes that's a that's a significant uh, well it's also part of you know ozone um, depletion which is tangentially tangentially related um, is is there in our plan uh, uh, looking at alternative forms of cooling that are less dependent on refrigerants. Um, I'm thinking in particular of, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, air conditioning is much less used in many parts of Europe. They don't have traditional air, con air conditioning, but they do have uh, cooling systems that uh, don't use uh, uh, refrigerants. Yeah, we, I, I know that they're switching out the refrigerants, and what they're doing is they're using less bad, right? Because <laughs> I'm not aware of them actually having non refrigerant coolants in our cooling systems right now. Sandeep. Yeah. Okay. Um, Thank you. Um, just, I guess I'm, I would suggest this, I'm going to suggest some, a specific improvement here. Um, I think we can simplify what we're trying to do and, and just get to, get to the heart of what we want to say by simply focusing on um, we want to significantly reduce our reliance on fossil fuels and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. That covers both the, we don't want the inputs to come in and we don't want the outputs to go out. I wouldn't call out natural gas because I don't think it's the, that's not the big thing. Um, we see the data is that we care about all fossil fuels and natural gas just happens to be one and it's not the biggest one. And I think we care ultimately about emissions, not just the use of fuels. That covers the leakage things. But the thing I would add to number one is the explicit discussion about annual monitoring of progress because ultimately we can go toward our targets, we want to meet the targets, but what we want to do is be making progress and measuring and knowing that that progress is real. So if we can somehow take some of the elements of the second paragraph, simplify the first paragraph to focus on fossil fuel reduction and emissions, I think we end up with something that's both concrete and, and measurable. Great, thank you. So you're asking for us to adopt an aspirational goal that's not a legal document, is that correct? <clears throat> yeah, just can, can I chime in just for a sec? Yeah. I think um, I mean we know, I want to push this towards a motion. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, here's here's the here's the deal. I think um, we are required to have a comp plan that's supportive of the countywide planning policies. Like we we just have to do it. It's a it's a requirement. So the 
again, how we say that, right, is there's probably lots of different options. You know, I'm, it's a little bit unclear, I think, whether we need to state the, the reduction targets, although they probably need to end up somewhere in the comp plan. They, again, are, they are actually. They are in the comp plan. Yep, yeah. so they are now. That's good. So I mean, we will. We just we need to be consistent with those countywide planning policies. Again, I think you know. I again, I, comparing this to how we deal with housing, like we are not going to be required to actually build the housing that we're targeted for, but we just have to have policies that support it, okay. because a lot of stuff is out of our control. So I, I would just encourage you guys to focus on overarching policies at the comprehensive plan scale that get us there, and a lot of that is housing in the right places, and transit accessibility, and not necessarily the burning of natural gas. So I think your comments about, yeah, not focusing on natural gas are well well taken, and we can craft a policy accordingly. I would I make a motion yeah, that um, we adopt B, and within the discussion portion, if anybody wants to make edits to the paragraph, you can. Can I get a second? I'll second that. Discussion. Sorry, you're supposed to no, I may I jump in real quick. If, sorry, this is Alice, and I don't know if you can see me or if I'm just a voice well, above you're you. Just a voice. <laughs> okay. Um, I I just wanted to jump in real quick too to add to what Adam said, but also just to let you know kind of what we're looking for tonight. So we're not looking for any motions tonight. We're not adopting anything tonight. But given the discussion about policies like this addressing fossil fuel usage or how to reduce emissions, given the, I think, the richness of that conversation from the commission back in May, what we felt like we needed to do was take your comments from May, come back with something that was not based on banning anything, and then kind of have this discussion tonight that we're in the middle of to give David direction to take back, to actually draft policies to bring to you when we bring you the full draft chapter. Um, and so I think the discussion you're about to have will be helpful to us, but I just wanted to make it clear that we don't we don't need a motion or an adoption of anything tonight. This is this is to go back to the desk and start drafting out that full element for you to look at when you have everything in context. Um, we brought this specific issue because we thought it would be a really robust conversation, whereas there might be a lot of other policies in the sustainability, climate, and environment element that might be a little more straightforward for the commission when we get to reviewing the draft. So I don't know if that helps, but I just wanted to offer that context for, for what we're looking for tonight. Angela? Well, I, no, I think we can I, still have an emotion. I don't, I, I don't think... I think the point is we don't have to have one, but we can. <laughs> well, what I was pointing towards, and whether this is a formal motion or not, is people seem to be consolidating around B. Yeah. Okay. Can I? Yeah. yeah. Hey. Okay. Um, so specifically on B, but my background is in environmental science. That's my degree. And back to what David started this um, evening with is that a lot of the things that I studied in college, we were told were going to happen in 2050 or 2070, and we're seeing them happen now, which is really freaking terrifying. And I just, I, you know, I may get bogged down in some of the like minutia and all of that, but I, I want to recognize that this is like the greatest threat to Kirkland and the globe in the next dec decades. And so having these really... Um, 
intense goals, while they're going to be very, very hard to meet, if we want to have a resilient community in the decades to come, we have to do it. Um, and that is both with, we need to figure out housing, we have to do it, because otherwise we're not going to hit anywhere near these goals. And while we're going to hit, reg with regularity, 1.5 degrees Celsius, every tenth of a degree that we don't hit will be a huge ramification to populations all over the globe. So I, I don't want to make it sound like my pushback against a ban of natural gas right now as something that is saying that this is not like the central conversation we need to be having. I came to housing as an understanding that that is the place that we can make the largest impact on climate and on emissions. And I, I think we do need to take this really seriously. I realize this is aspirational, but you know, a decade ago, 15 years ago, it would have been really encouraging to have these conversations like we are today. But we're in 2023, and if we continue to plan at the bureaucratic speed that, and change things at the speed that we've been doing over the past decades, it's not a good outcome. So I, I just kind of want to maybe inject a little bit of urgency in this. Like, it's really, really hard. There are a lot of pieces to this, but if we don't do it, it's going to be really terrible for, you know, our kids when they're grown. The, the reason I consolidated around B, and I think we were, is because in 2030, we could at least have a discussion as to where we were, and that's only in seven years. With the other, um, the other metrics, there's not really uh, clear check-ins. Rhea? C has 100% clean renewable energy, and I'm wondering if we can, is it possible to, to get rid of the percentages and say majority clean renewable energy? Is that something we could consider instead of having the policy, these specific numbers? I was actually liking C yeah. uh, because it was a goal as opposed to B where it seemed so uh, constrained. Can we In say the majority instead of 100% though? Because I'm afraid that's a... I, I, you know, I, yeah, I agree, but I, I, I really... One of the things I look at in this is like, okay, we need to come up with solar that the average household could actually power their house. Right now, I mean, I've looked into it for my own house, and the best they can do is 30%. Uh, so how would we get these targets um, if you can only, you know, it, it just seems like, yes, the government or... Um, we have to do better, um, yeah, Maybe to get people. Instead of 100%. Yeah. If it's a goal, I don't see why 100% isn't bad as a goal, <laughs> but I, I don't think we would achieve it. Um, Sandy? Yeah, I just, my objection to C, or at least the current phrasing of C, is I don't think the goal, correct me if I'm wrong, the goal is not about 100% renewable energy. The goal is 100% reduction in emissions. Mm -hmm. And so we should be really careful. Like A and B both talk about emissions. That's what we want to focus on. I think everything else is just how we get there. And it can be a red herring if we start goaling on the wrong thing. 
right? So if we, you know, if we decide that leak prevention helps us, that's a good thing that reduces emissions independent of the source of fuel, right? And so, yeah, let's be very clear. And if we're going to be specific on targets, let's be target clear on what outcome we want. Okay. John. So my understanding of B is that it just follows the state statute. Is that right? Those those targets are the state statute, yes. Okay. So, I mean, B is specific, but it just follows the state statute. It's not, I mean, the state statute doesn't go away if we <clears throat> have a different aspirational goal. We're still going to have to have those numbers somewhere in the comp plan, I think. I think the piece that I think is most important of regardless of the rest of the language is the evaluate progress annually. Um, as much as 2030, 2040, 2050 are big goals, I want to know at the end of 2023 where we're at and where we're at at the end of 2024 and 2025. Like we need, like this is so urgent. We can't, we can't be looking seven years out, 17 years out. Like we need to be looking every six months, every year, like, what are the like real actionable things that we have done to reduce our emissions? And so I'm not really married to any of the rest of the language, but the evaluation of progress annually with the expectation of we will see a reduction every single year. Are the emission reduction targets quantified in terms of tons of carbon or in terms of warming effect? No, it's a measurement of metric tons of carbon. Okay. It so is. so I guess that's that's one of the things that I would like to see adjusted is uh, uh, addressing the warming effect of emissions as in measure, measuring that, targeting that uh, rather than uh, the, the simple volume of, you know, by, by mass, because there is significant difference, uh, like two orders of magnitude difference, as I understand it, between different elements uh, by, by mass. Okay. Just so you know, too, that um, like every two years, we're actually doing um, community-wide, and annually we do... Um, 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 greenhouse gas emission reports. The annual ones, we've got it down to a science, and um, we're recording things every year, and we're getting better. Um, but there's things like the fugitive emissions, like the refrigerants and things that are just doing that. And there's um, commuting, like uh, flying and travel and things that maybe weren't considered before, and they're, they're there. We're considering those now. Um, the community one's a little bit harder, but um, we found that working with a consultant um, that we can actually turn it around pretty quickly. And they've got their pulse on everything you're talking about. Um, but, and you're right, we do, that's, the, that's the purpose of doing those reports. So you could just know from year to year, oh, what happened here? Or wait, this is really great, this is happening, this is working, let's do more of this to keep those numbers going down. So I agree. and. Um, there will be, regardless of this policy, um, um, there is things in place um, to do that um, reporting. But annually for the community is a little tough right now, but it would be great if we could get to that point. But oftentimes, you don't see much 
a ton of difference from year to year. It's maybe every few years. So um, right now it's two years for community-wide and one year for government operations. Okay, so you would like from us a choice here. Um, I think, if I could chime in, I think, I think we have some principles to work with that right. you guys have articulated, which are really helpful. Like, um, you know, don't focus on natural gas. Um, measure frequently. Um, focus on emissions reductions, not necessarily fossil fuels. Addressing Rodney's questions of warming effect versus tons of carbon emissions reduced. So I think... With those principles in mind, maybe we can go back and sort of recraft re some options for you and then bring them back, and then you can sort of select them. Because, again, we don't, we're not at the point where we need you to, to adopt a policy right now. Right. As, as a, what we need are just principles for crafting a new policy, which I think you've given us. So, John? I just wanted to second the evaluate progress annually. It's an important uh, thing that Commissioner Rosman identified in that. Great. Thank you. I think we're good on this one. Okay. Okay. I, okay. Do we need to vote on it now, John? <laughs> but then I, you have, I have Nay. to uh, make a motion to uh, extinguish the motion. Okay. Okay, we're going to move on to, um, there was a study issue, I think it was number six, that looked at um, taking um, sustainability components from the Northeast 85th Street station area plan and um, making them available citywide, essentially. Um, so this graphic right here talks about what, what did we adopt when we adopted the um, station area plan. And... Um, the, some of those sustainability components are the high-performing buildings, which I think you guys probably have heard quite a bit about because we actually adopted high-performing building standards um, back in 22. And it also came up again when the station area plan got adopted because they made it the minimum baseline requirement. You must do a high-performing building um, and the seven performance um, measures. And I can go over them if people want to hear them. Also, there's a minimum green factor that's you know, um, it's, a, uh, it's a measurement model that shows how much green materials that affect um, how much stormwater is staying on the site. And so this, this graphic here on the right is actually a really good one because um, it shows, like, green roofs. It shows green walls. It shows um, green detention systems um, and trees, which take up water. It also shows in the very center there on the bottom... Um, looks like a classroom almost, but it really is um, an outside area where you have pervious pavement that infiltrates. So um, the, the green factor is required. As there's a minimum factor um, that is required at the station area. Um, so, uh, and then if they're uh, in the station area, um, you know, the if you go above and beyond the high-performing building standards, then you get some additional incentives. Um, and I haven't seen that yet because we haven't had any buildings yet that have come through. Um, but we do have a building that's coming through um, outside of the station area in Bridal Trail Shopping Center that's going to be employing the high-performing building standards. Um, and then on the um, 
green factor, I don't believe that there is any, um, you know, additional incentives until you kind of get into that second bullet point under adopted incentives, enhanced the ecology of the site or increasing the habitat of the site. So um, anyway, those are the two like major sustainability components of the um, stationary plan. And the study issue was like considering bringing that as a requirement of some kind citywide. Um, and so at least tonight, we're not gonna focus on a policy. <laughs> and I think that you're aware of that from the, the, um, the actual um, packet. Basically, we're gonna focus on like some of the elements you'd like to see. Then we'll go back to the table and craft something based on what you're um, providing as feedback and um, see if there's a policy that you'd like. I think there's some hands raised. I don't. Okay, I'm sorry. I was. It's okay. To it. Okay, Sandy. Um, I don't know if it's here or somewhere else, but where do we, or are we making a explicit policy statement around vegetation, trees, other forms of carbon capture, carbon sequestration, and general cooling uh, through vegetation. Yes, and there, that will be. As well as active, like, planting. Yeah, some of the, the aspects you're just talking about are um, talked about in our urban forestry management plan, and definitely there's quite a bit that's going to, you're going to see some policies around trees, around carbon sequestration, around the stormwater aspects of it that'll be in the draft policies when they come. So and, this, and, this and would be I, in and, addition and, to whatever codes are required now that we require. And, and, and this will apply not just to city land, but as a set of policy language toward, directed toward how we want to build either incentives or requirements for, for private development. Right. This is saying, hey, we've, we've got some really, did some really great research. We've adopted some requirements in the station area. Do we want to look at um, kind of opening that up citywide. And so we would, um, <coughs> I'm going to go over the elements in a moment, but we would craft a policy that would suggest how we would do that if we were going to do that, if that makes sense. John? Um, you know, one of my concerns about the stationary plan is that it happens and, and starts to materialize in the 2020s and not, you know, in 2030s or 2040s. And I would just want to be really cognizant of any policies we enact that would increase developer costs and thereby reduce the likelihood of development. Um, interest rates are at 7 or 8%, and the developers that are going to build the um, residential part of the stationary plan, I don't, you know, we're going to have to attract them, not repel them. That's just my overall comment. Yeah. Are we able to wait and see at all what happens with 85th and whether there's developer interest? Because we've got, yeah, like John's saying, we we have very tough, you know, uh, affordable housing requirements, and then these are the most stringent 
requirements for green building that we've had so far, right, in the city that's, of Kirkland? That's correct. Yeah, which, you know, I, I don't mind it. It just adds cost. It adds cost, and it adds cost to housing. And at a certain point, developers say, we don't, this doesn't pencil, we'll go build somewhere else. So are we having to make these decisions right now when we haven't even seen what what the station area has we haven't even seen a building there yet. Right, and I think that this is, that's why it's a study issue. I'm not, um, um, and so I'm gonna need to report back to council on it, and um, I think you might have commented on it previously. But I think, <laughs> <laughs> you comment on a lot of things, I'm sure. Um, but I think this, the next slide that actually talks about the elements is actually gonna probably um, help you understand that what options we have to consider and um, you know yeah we don't know you know this is best available science and you've got really smart people that have looked at what pencils for you know the stationary plan and what takes more to do and then provides incentives to achieve them um, but as on the next slide I'm going to get to I think is really going to help you understand that um, it may not be a requirement it, it could be a study issue it could be we commission a study right to further understand that so this is where you know we have these two very very important pieces of affordable housing and green building and we need the housing to be built if we're serious about if those are our two priorities then we have to say that those two are our priorities and really nothing else. And that means that if we're going to do this, we need to find ways to make housing get built a lot cheaper, which means if the city's serious about their green building requirements and their affordability requirements, then they need to be equally or more serious about their permitting requirements, their setback requirements, their modulation requirements. You know, not everything can be first priority and Again and again, we say that affordable housing and climate are it. And if that's it, then we need to actually maybe start looking at everything else and how do we support those two priorities and not say, oh, but, well, we need that extra, you know, five feet of whatever um, because it's just as important and everything can't be just as important. So, I, I mean, personally, I think it's green building and affordable housing I think that's kind of what the city and what the city council has said, but then we, you know, pile on 50 other things that we say are also most important. So if this is it, then let's get really serious about these things being it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see us place a greater burden on what is arguably already our most efficient in terms of energy uh, and emissions, uh, environmental uh, impact. Um, I, I don't know, I'm, I may be more interested in uh, uh, adjusting regulations to encourage more duplex and triplex, recognizing that, and, and you know, placing more of a burden on uh, detached single-family homes um, because they are inherently less efficient. They are, they are larger. And the, if you can have more shared walls and uh, less cubic foot, less exposed exterior surface area, um, per uh, per resident, um, then you can you know through that even have <clears throat> gain much more uh, energy efficiency. 
that said, you know, there's still potentially ways that we could uh, make it easier to and more affordable to, to implement some of these, such as with uh, uh, energy credits or, you know, uh, let's see, let me figure out how, how to articulate this. Um, we don't want to increase the cost of building with this, but if we could somehow have a program that subsidizes the implement the initial installation of this and then uses that the savings the, the economic savings of that in subsequent years to replenish the cost of installing that um, then we can avoid increasing the cost of construction um, achieve our energy goals and uh, and provide a you know an economic way to uh, uh, to, uh, to to fund this without having the adverse impacts that we're that we're concerned about. Thank you. Okay. Is there any other feedback? Great. Okay. Well, now we're going to get to the elements, and this is. I think you guys are going to really like this um, because. Um, it's the same, it, it's just, we're not moving on to a new issue. I'm just saying that um, of the high performing, I've got all of the notes here and we've recorded it, so I've, I've got your feedback. But if you were able to provide me some um, feedback on like what, you know, um, programs or um, facets of the station area plan, and we just went over the green factor and high performing buildings should be considered citywide. That's the number one question. Number two, speed of implementation. How aggressive should the city be in requiring these new standards? Should we just study the issue further or incorporate um, standards immediately? I think I've heard from you that your preference wouldn't be to do the latter. But um, anyway, that's knowing like the speed of implementation um, would be helpful. And then also qualifying projects. Does every single project qualify and re be required to do this? Or, for example, I looked in the city of Seattle and their green building requirements and some of their higher standards are required only for buildings 20,000 square feet or greater in gross floor area. Um, and then I guess how about major renovation projects? So which components, the high performing buildings, green factor, should be considered how aggressive or speed of implementation and what do you think that the qualifying project size should be? Do you have any um, input on any of these three things? That, knowing that information will allow me to um, address the study issue that either you or council put forward for this element and, um, and then be able to bring something back that um, is tailored to your comments. Okay, Bria? I think uh, we study it. We haven't had an actual project built under this yet. I don't think it's prudent to put into legislation or pass something that we don't even know can be built um, citywide. The other thing, um, I don't believe we should be requiring this for all projects because if we're just talking about permitting, you now require that for cottages for, I don't even know how you'd make it on cottages because the roofs are so small, you couldn't get enough uh, 
solar panels on there to even get energy credits. So I, I don't think it makes sense for uh, low density. I don't think it makes sense to, for mid density. Um, other than we have a lot of requirements right now for low density. Um, we usually get our energy credits for 20 different solar panels on some of the bigger projects. So it is there's a lot of requirements already um, that add a lot of cost, but we do them. Um, I think if you're going to ask for an additional level for just residential small projects, it's going to add so much time in terms of permitting <coughs> and just adoption from um, the builder standpoint of understanding what they're supposed to be building and, and from the architect and from the civil engineer. So I, I really would say be very much against that. Keeping in mind there's still very stringent green code, energy code already required. John, um, I, you know, I think if if we're going to get serious about the station area plan, we would have to look at it differently and maybe have a developers roundtable where we invite five or ten developers from the region that build this kind of stuff. I'm not in this space, but we invite five or ten developers to the to this table and have them tell us what they need to be interested, instead of tell. I mean, the the era of us being able to say we're going to require you to do this this and this is is really over and um, if we want to see any development I think we have to start courting developers um, and ask them for their ideas and, and see what it would take to really uh, get them to pull the trigger on on some of these projects and reach out to them proactively because I don't think they're reaching out to the to us <laughs> At, at this point, that's what I'm not what I'm seeing. Am I right? Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's a good again. That's really good feedback. I mean, I think yeah, what we're hearing from yeah Commissioner Heiser and Commissioner Tim Chisner, study yeah study keep all of these issues on the table, all of these environmental measures on the table, study them more, involve developers, um, and we do hear from them occasionally, um, and we've heard from them during the station area plan process, and we definitely want to do more outreach as well to them. We want projects to get built as well. So. Yeah. Uh, can I ask a quick question? What constitutes a major renovation project? Is this a homeowner that guts his house, or is it a major building in Kirkland being refurbished? Well, that's a good question. I mean, like, I know how it is determined when you do a permit. You know, there's a certain percentage of the building that is touched and worked on or whatever that goes from just a minor, you know, remodel to a major revision. It almost feels like you're <laughs> submitting a brand new building permit for a new building. So, you know, it, this is just an additional question. How about renovation projects when we're considering this? Should we also consider renovation projects? Um, and I really can't give you an answer on a percentage of that being touched or whatever at this point, but should we consider it? If we're looking at it and studying it, should we look at remodels as well? I think that's what it's saying. Okay, Angela? So I'm going to say that I would like to see these happen as quickly as possible. However, with the caveat of how do we reduce the cost of building the housing so that we can get this in a financeable way. So yes, we need to do this as quickly as possible, but only if we have figured out the flip side of how do we reduce the building costs at the same time. Not impossible, um, 
a lot harder, but if we're serious about this stuff, then let's be serious about how we can actually make it feasible so that we see the projects happen. But, you know, back to the, this is a climate emergency. We need to treat it as such, not just on the writing of new requirements, but on, you know, digging really deeply into the city process and how do we, how do we do both? Thank you. Sandeep? So I don't feel like, so I, th I think what I'm hearing, I think the consensus is we don't know enough to be able to like put anything in place immediately. But I do think, so I think that, I think there's a study. Right. But I do think that there's a, I wonder if we can actually explicitly set a target date for getting to a set of enforceable policies that move us forward. And I don't know if that's 18 months or I mean, 12 months seems very quick. 18 months seems possible. But I think if we don't force ourselves to be very explicit about when we want to do this, then this could just drag on. This will be another tree code. <laughs> and um, I really don't think that's what we want. Thank you. Yeah. I just want to say about uh, major remodels. So that would be basically, a, you can even start with just a kitchen. Weren't we just saying we want everyone to be retrofitting their, um, their kitchens to be all electric? Well, if we're going to also adopt all the green energy code from the 85th area to a major renovation, we're now asking that homeowner to not just do their kitchen, but to do redo their roof because they've got to do solar panels on it. So I, I just think that's a slippery slope. I don't think that makes any sense. I, I, my concern on that one is that it ends up being such a burden <coughs> on um, especially younger people who may be remodeling a house that uh, is actually fairly green instead of tearing it down and building a new house. So I, I, I just wondered about the burden of um, adding the remodels on. And some of that is up to what the city comes up with because I, you know, again, I, I realize, well, then there are developers who are um, taking a house down and leaving a wall um, so that it's a remodel. Um, that's different than a homeowner uh, fixing up a house. Right. I think it would be interesting in a study, for example, if that's the direction we did go, is that we're asking the developers from the region, you know, what do you do for remodels? There are specific developers that deal directly with remodels, and getting that feedback is pretty important. They may just say, like, let's not touch, you know, the smaller buildings or whatever for this kind of a requirement. Let's make, and that would lead us to potentially larger buildings for this. But, you know, I think that the study could um, do that, would help us know that information, so. I think I got what I needed. Great. So, um, yeah, I will uh, take the feedback I got from tonight and uh, talk to management staff, um, and we'll come back. Um, I'm probably going to be one of the first um, elements to come back because I, I was the first element to come um, and provide a, an update. Um, so, 
and that I'm targeting January 2024. Um, it might push a little bit, just depending on um, if Commerce does get that guidance that I need or not. Um, but I'll take your feedback and make sure it's represented well. So thank you. Great. Okay. Uh, do we have any other business tonight? Allison? Calendar? Uh, just calendar, but no other business. Okay, great. So, um, tomorrow's canceled. Yeah. It is. Do you want me to jump in with calendar yes, updates? Definitely. All right. Um, so, yeah, tomorrow is canceled. You don't have to go two nights in a row to City Hall. Um, so, your next regular meeting will be on November 9th. On November 9th, we have scheduled a public hearing on the annual comprehensive plan amendment. We talked about those really briefly at your last meeting um, when you decided you'd be okay to go straight to hearing without a briefing. So we're doing that on November 9th. Council did request a, a briefing on that. So we're briefing council on that at their meeting that same week on November 7th. You'll hold the hearing on November 9th. We'll take it back to council uh, for adoption before the end of the year. Your following meeting, your second uh, November meeting falls on Thanksgiving. I, I took the liberty of going ahead and canceling that one without asking any of you. I hope that's okay. Um, after that, we have uh, meetings scheduled in December. Oh, sorry, did I miss that comment? No, go ahead, it was just sarcasm. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm sorry, I missed it with. then. Um, your uh, December 14th meeting will be a briefing on a couple more um, comprehensive plan elements. I did want to check in with the commission. Your second December meeting is scheduled is, is on December 28th, which is the Thursday in between the Christmas and New Year's holidays. We have not put anything on the agenda for that. We do have items we could bring, but I... I wanted to do a quick poll. I can't see hands, so maybe Chair Reiser, you could help me um, by asking the commission how folks feel about holding that meeting or not. I'm seeing a lot of head shaking no. In fact, it looks fairly unanimous. Okay. I, but I'm happy to be there. <laughs> Planning Commission of one. Well, without a quorum, then I guess we will just cancel that one. And then we'll pick up um, in January. Like I've mentioned, I'm not going to go uh, date by date, but I think I've mentioned a couple times already. Um, the first part of next year, your meetings will probably be, we're going to try to keep them focused and into items that we can cover in just a couple of hours, but we have a lot of comp plan work to get through. So um, I, I think it's probably unlikely we'll, we'll be seeing canceled uh, commission meetings uh, for the first several months of 2024. We're going to start hitting these comp plan element briefings um, pretty good. So that's it from me. Great. Okay. I am fairly sure we don't have any audience left. So uh, anything else from the commission? I'm going to close the meeting. <laughs>